Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Father, thank you for Richard. Thank you for your love poured into him, his love poured out to you, your love poured through him to us. Thank you for all that you've stored up in our brother to release to us today for our encouragement and our comfort and our upbuilding and our revelation. Come, Holy Spirit, again, I ask. And drench my brother again in your love. More than he had before he stood up. More than he had before he came in. Pour more into this sponge, this God-shaped sponge, that as you pour in, so you can pour out. And so I speak release of your word through our brother this morning. And I loose from us distraction and mindset that would stop us hearing, seeing, and receiving you, Holy Spirit, as counselor and as guide into our beloved Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, you take us and bring us to Father who says, I love you. So if you're new here this morning, and you're very welcome, because God said so, and we feel the same. And if we're members here, then we're welcome, because we say so, and God said so. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. If you're new here this morning, I must apologize. I was doing perfectly well in my own strength up until quite recently. (laughs) Hmm. but thankfully God's got more for me than what I can do in my own strength (laughs) Hmm. so Hmm. yeah I've got props and everything got a word for you this morning very small word. Got another word for you this morning. Slightly bigger. Slightly more fragile. Oh, and I've got a, 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 a theme for you this morning. <laughs> Trying to convince you that I've prepared. Um, we've been doing a series on encountering the things of God. And my part of the series is Encountering God's Purpose. Purpose. I got more of a laugh this morning than last night. (laughs) That door wasn't open last night, but I swear I saw some tumbleweed roll by. Encountering God's Purpose. It probably sounds better coming from a Geordie, um, that joke, but never mind. So I'm hoping that this will be a turtle revelation for you today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay. I'm sure the booze were meant in love. <laughs> You've changed. You used to love jokes like that 30 years ago. Hmm. Encountering God's purpose. Um, I found that very hard, actually. I found it very hard to, to, to think about, to, to meditate on, to, to study, uh, because it's such a massive thing, isn't it? Purpose, uh, particularly God's purpose. And also the interpretation of that. I struggled with, does that mean God's purpose in me or for me? Or does it mean God's purpose of, of being God? Does it mean God's purpose for all of us? Is there a common purpose we share, all of us? Is there a common purpose that God and all of us share? So, so many interpretations of encountering God's purpose. Um, but you know, it's good to struggle. True? It's good to struggle because when you struggle, that's when you're, you're, you're kind of loosening, loosening up to some degree and learning. And I have to say, I've, I've struggled for weeks and weeks with this theme. Um, and I've learned a lot. I'd like to think I'm a, I'm a teachable person. Uh, I'm a teacher. And if you have a, a teacher who's teachable, then we can go places, can't we? If we have leaders who are teachable, then we can go places. Hmm. Hey. I've come to the conclusion that not only do we have a common purpose, but we and God have a common purpose. If you, if you strip everything back to what unites us, and um, what unites us with God and with each other, there is some commonality there. There is some commonality if you look right back at when God created the earth and created us. He created us for a purpose. True? Okay. He also created us in his image, um, which, looking at some of you guys, is <laughs> a bit of a stretch. But thankfully, God can't have created us all in his physical image, because we all look so different. So there's something deeper than that when it says God created us in his image. There's something deeper beyond the surface uh, outward appearance. Um, and so I've been looking at what, is, what are those things that, that are deeper than the, the, the things we put on the surface and the things we create ourselves as well. So I've come to the conclusion that his purpose is our purpose. And his purpose is us. Not only... Do we share a common purpose with God? But we are God's purpose. Hmm. You know, when God said to Moses, um, when Moses asked who, he was top of the mountain, bush on fire, spoke to it, you know the story. But when God told Moses to go back down the mountain and tell the people. Moses said, who, who, who shall I, you know, that telephone receptionist thing, who shall I say is calling? Um, and God didn't um, give Moses a, a recognizable name or a job description or, a, or an explanation of who he was. He didn't give Moses any details of what to say to the people. He said, um, I am. 
I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Which is always read a bit kind of, uh, a bit strange, would you agree? I am. Was he deliberately talking in riddles? No, actually. If you think about it, God, um, God has always been. God is the original, the alpha, the omega. God is, has always been, is always, and will always be. So how could he one day kind of um, decide that he's now got a name? Do you see what I mean? So I am is the only way really to describe God. Um, and I am is deeper than I am now or I will be in the future. It's deeper than that, isn't it? It touches on something that is the very essence of, of who God is, what God is, and what God will always be. Those two small words. And what we share with God is something of that depth. Okay? The thing that we are and will always be is what we share with God, thankfully. You know, the, the stuff that is permanent and everlasting and infinite inside us is what we share with God. Thank God. And I think it's something to do with this word. Because we be. It sounds a little bit like, I don't know, I'm a country bumpkin or something. We be. But the, the stuff that we be is, <laughs> is deeper than all of the stuff we put on the surface. The stuff that we be, and often it's the small words that are the most profound. And I think this is a word that is really pr profound. Uh, it's so profound and so deep that we often add other bits to it to make it into other words that have be as its root. I think we do that with love as well. We come up with our own definitions of love and our own kind of outworkings of love. But at the core of that, there is something much deeper. So these two words have, have something in common. Um. <laughs> um, I've been reading about Gideon. Just a show of hands if you've heard of Gideon. Okay, yep, he's the guy who leaves the little Bibles in the hotel rooms. He also features in Judges in the Old Testament. Now, when I read various uh, kind of interpretations of the Bible, read about Gideon, comes across to me as a bit of an unlikely hero, to put it mildly. One interpretation described him as the runt of the litter. I think it's the message. Let me see if I can find it. Why am I making these weird noises? Anyway, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> Basically, to paraphrase, um, Gideon was identified. Oh, here we go. Um, look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. Look at me. My clan is the weakest of all the clans, of all the tribes, and I am the runt of the litter. In other words, I am the lowest of the lowest of the low. That was Gideon. We often find people like that in the Bible, don't we? How come we don't find kind of like action figures in the Bible too much? I believe that those things are stripped away by God. So when 
those these these people do um, do amazing things. The glory goes to God, and Gideon really is a story of that. Um, this is how he started out in his historical account. Um, so, one time when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, because um, the Midianites were, were oppressing the, the Israelites, okay? Every time, every year, when the Israelites grew their crops, they struggled, you know, and labored to grow their crops and raise their cattle, etc., etc. The Midianites would just come from the east and totally ravage uh, the, the land that the Israelites were living on. So every year they waited until the Israelites had grown all of their produce and then they would come across uh, and pillage the whole lot. How disheartening must that be for a tribe or for many tribes? Not only disheartening, but you know, think how that affects a nation. You know, we, we, we see in the news about famine in, in far-off lands. Often those famines are actually caused, certainly perpetuated by war. And here is, a, here is an account of war and famine uh, kind of perpetuating each other, really. So that was where the Israelites, the people of Israel, were living, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian. They were crying out to the Lord for help. And eventually, we get this story of uh, an angel of God coming and seeking out Gideon. Seeking out Gideon because the angel of God knew Gideon. Okay, I can tell because of what the angel said to Gideon that in one sense, it seems like the angel didn't have a clue who Gideon was. In another sense, actually, uh, the angel of God profoundly knew who Gideon was. This is, how, this is what makes me have these two different opinions. It says, um, one day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abba's right whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress, out of sight of the Midianites. When you thresh wheat, you do it in a high place. Because what you want is the wind to come across, and when you throw the wheat into the air, it blows all the, the stuff you don't want away, and it creates a big dust cloud, and the stuff you do want, the grain, falls onto the ground, okay? And yet, here we have Gideon threshing the wheat in a wine press. Now, I've never pressed wine before. Um, but I know that you have to wear blue hot pants and a tartan shirt. No, you'd... that was the first picture I found, honest. I know, I know you have to do it in a low place because it's liquid. If you trod grapes on the top of a hill, a dusty hill, you wouldn't have much wine, would you? So you have to do it in a low place. You have to do it in, in a kind of a, either a depression or a bowl or a barrel that's waterproof. But you don't thresh wheat in that low place. So Gideon was doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. He was doing a high thing in a low place. Let's get rid of that image now before it's permanently impressed on our imaginations. Okay, thank you. Phew. So there was Gideon doing uh, high things in low places. And Gideon, who by his own description, was a bit of a geek, a bit of a wimp, the runt of the litter. 
This is what the angel of God said to Gideon. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. If I'd been Gideon, kind of up to my knees with kind of grape juice, I would have probably said, oh, oh mighty warrior, you, you need the person down the road there, you know? Gideon probably didn't recognize that within himself. In fact, he says, with me, my master. He questioned that straight away. Why did the angel of God identify Gideon as, uh, in another interpretation, it says mighty hero? You know, if you're a hero, it means you've done some stuff, doesn't it? You've kind of rescued people and you've done some amazing things. Gideon hadn't done any of that, according to this account. So why did the angel identify him as a hero and a mighty warrior? It's because the angel knew something in Gideon that was deeper than everything he had done up until that point. He wasn't even saying, visual aid, he, he wasn't saying that before you were a mighty warrior. He wasn't saying that you used to be a mighty warrior. He wasn't saying that you are currently being a mighty warrior. You know, there's nothing particularly mighty about threshing wheat in a wine press. He wasn't saying that you will become a mighty warrior, actually. He was saying you are a mighty warrior. I see you, mighty warrior. So that's different. That's a sense of the, the permanence, you know, that I am of God and, and the I be of us. There's something permanent there that always was and is and always will be. And that's what the angel of God saw in Gideon. Hmm. What happened after that is, uh, just again to summarize and paraphrase, I mean, if you haven't read it, please read it, uh, all right? Particularly as uh, I may throw in one or two deliberate incorrect interpretations. Just warning you now. What happened after that was um, basically Gideon was charged with, with raising up an army and getting rid of all of the idols and the idol worship and the evil practices that were kind of riddled across the land. So Gideon was charged with, with basically getting rid of all of, the, all of the idols, all of the false gods and, and the evil practices, and also um, at attacking and defeating the Midianites. So it was that clean sweep that God wanted. And Gideon was charged with, with leading that, this mighty warrior who wasn't, but was. Um, he started by getting rid of all of the evil practices in his own household. That's interesting, I think. Sometimes that's overlooked. But the first Asherah poles he knocked down and the first things he did that got rid of evil practices were in his own household. In fact, he went against his own father. Okay? And the punishment for that was death. The next things he did were, were to build an army and he got thousands of people together and God said, actually, um, Gideon, I want you to um, look at your army and every, everybody who parts their hair on this side, I want you to get rid of. And everybody who parts their hair on this side, I want you to keep. And, and Gideon had to get rid of most of that army. And then Gideon felt, okay, I haven't got many people now, but let's go for it anyway. And God said, hold on. I want you to look at when people make a cup of tea, if they put the milk in first before the tea bag, get rid of them. If they put the tea bag in, if they put the tea bag in first before the milk, keep them there. 
so um, Gideon had to strip it down again and get rid of most of the army. Okay? Some of you are thinking that may not be absolutely accurate. They may not have had tea bags in those days. Even though we read about Hebrews. No, I won't even try that. I won't even try that. To be honest, I've deliberately thrown in some, some in, incorrect things because actually when you read it, it's not about the reasons that God stripped down the army and sent most of them packing. It's not about the reasons. If God had done that for a particular reason, according to the characters or the, or the, the might or the physical strength or the capabilities in battle of the people, then actually that, that would have been the whole point lost. God didn't do those things for those reasons. He didn't do it with a kind of uh, a human common sense approach. You know, he didn't get them to run up and down a mountain and that the first hundred that came back alive would stay. And it, it wasn't like boot camp. It was actually, there were some weird reasons why God said, not those, and yes to those. But I think that's, that's exactly what it should have been because... The reason God pared down and stripped down the army to just a few people, 300 I think, was that when they were victorious, it couldn't possibly have been for any military strategy or military might or you know, weaponry or, or, or kind of strength of that army. It couldn't possibly have been because of what God had done to that army. Do you see what I mean? So because God had, had, had stripped down that army with, with crazy reasons, it wasn't tea bags and hair parting, but it was similarly strange reasons. The glory in the victory went to God. Do you see what I mean? That's my take on the story of Gideon. And there's lots more in there, and there's lots more you can get from that. But, but that's, that's where I'm leaving it. Because I'm interested in, in that process of stripping down and getting to the heart of what unites us with God. Stripping down and getting to the heart of what we share as a common purpose. So stripping everything else away and, and seeing what's left. Because it's that thing that has that permanence, that infinite permanence. And that's the thing that we share with God. And it's, it's when, we, when we get rid of, you know, the, the notions about what we'll become, uh, even what we, uh, what, who we belong to, um, get rid of, strip down how we behave in certain circumstances. I certainly want to get rid of that. Um, what, even what we believe, if we strip all of that back, Strip all of that back. Because let's face it, we don't all believe the same stuff in this church, do we? Do we? Do we? We don't. And yet we still meet together and only occasionally fall out and talk behind each other's backs. When you strip it back to what we, we be, we be, that thing... That thing, that thing is love. The thing that we be is love. The thing that God made us to be is love. The thing that unites us is love. The thing that we are made in God's image is love. God is love. 
God made us in his image. And that thing is love. We all have it. And not just us have it. The church down the road, if you look deep down, they have it. The mosque down the road, if you look deep down, they have it. The people who would say there is no God, if you look deep down, they have it. They were made in God's image. Not to look physically like him necessarily. Okay? It's not about length of beard or size of nose. If you look deep down, they have it. It's what unites all of us, and I mean all of us. And um, when you start believing that, you start acting like that, and you start looking for that love in other people, doesn't matter what their background is, doesn't matter what they were before, or what they are likely to become, it doesn't matter what they're being, it doesn't matter what they're behaving like, if you look for that thing that unites us, that thing is love. Hmm. This is <laughs> I think the batteries ran out a few years ago. If I dropped this, the frame would probably break. But it's still got one job to do, hasn't it? It's only got one job to do. It doesn't do much else. The, the core of this is love. Even if the frame is broken, the batteries have run out. We're a bit like that, you know? If we stop being lovely, we still have love. If we stop being lovable, we still have love. If we stop making an effort, we still have love. I had some words to do with love that were really clever. Lovable, loved, lover, loving, lovely. You get the point. Took me ages to make those as well. <laughs> Took me ages to write these seven pages of notes, but I haven't even used a single one of them. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> I've also got loads on the iPad, but the point is, it's about that stripping back, okay? And I, and I say that because we can get so distracted and so sidetracked by all of the other stuff that happens in our lives, okay? And, and that's where uh, confusion sets in, that's where fear sets in, that's where anxiety sets in, that's where um, um, lots of other stuff set in. Just, just, I guess, some advice, some encouragement, actually, that when you're in a situation where you start to experience fear, anxiety, confusion, indecision, apathy, just kind of, I know this is easy to say, but possibly hard to understand and hard to do, look, look into yourself and start to strip away some of those things that get in the way of you seeing what God made you for, what God made you like, and how God made you, and how God made you in his image. Strip things back to that, and you will find love. Hmm. You see, when you strip it back to that, you can, you can go about everyday life with much more of a sense of purpose, much less fear, 
particularly when you recognize that not only do you have love at your core, but the people you fear do, the people that lead you do, the people that you lead do, the people that are rude to you do. So if you are starting to recognize that more in yourself, uh, you actually start to recognize it more in others. It really works. It's, it's what unites all of us. It's this sense of, of who I be. And be is it, it got that eternal quality, I think. So it's not about who, who I am right now or who I may become. It's who I be and will always be. Who I be is love. Who I will always be is, is love. Hmm. And when you have that real awareness of your, your identity in Christ and also your kind of the DNA of how God has made you, you can step into any situation without fear. And fear has many kind of guises, doesn't it? It's not always about being petrified of something. Sometimes fear makes us angry. Sometimes fear makes us defensive. Sometimes fear makes us violent. Um, last weekend, I had a um, really good... Uh, I'm off for a couple of weeks, a couple more weeks now. I've been off for a week, and it's fantastic. Um, and uh, to celebrate um, the start of my summer holiday for the past few years, apart from the year I've totally forgot, um, I, I meet Doug Gowland in Newcastle, and we go to the Open Air Americana Festival. Fantastic. So I did that last Saturday, and then... 46 years old, by the way. Then I went out after that. Yeah? Yeah? So I went to a music festival. Then I went out in town, i.e. Newcastle, where there are pubs and trendy people. I went out. I met my wife. And I met Amy Colbeck, Coolio, on bass. And uh, we, we went to a public house. I know. And we had some food and some drinks, and it was great. We had a great time. Um, and um, we were spontaneous, spontaneous, everybody, 46 years old, three teenage boys, spontaneous. <laughs> if your kids aren't yet teenagers, it will come. Spontaneous, you can be spontaneous again. Because <laughs> if you phone them to say where you are, they're like, what are you phoning me for? What, you know, why am I bothered? It's fantastic. So anyway, Beth and I and Amy were spontaneous. And we decided to go to a, a pub in town that Beth and I used to go to when we first met. Um, Beth tells me it's 27 years ago. Um, it's called the Trent House. Some of you may know it. And we used to go there and, and sometimes play pool. And Beth, I have to say, this is probably theologically awful, but after a Maybe after a pint of cider, Beth is a wicked pool player. I'm just putting it out there while she's not here. Um, so we went to kind of re <laughs> recapture that, uh, that youth, I guess, and we took Amy with us. And we went into the Trent House and went straight upstairs to where the pool table used to be, and guess what? It's still there. It also felt like the same people were playing pool, uh, which is a bit weird. So um, there were people there that were probably a little bit younger than us, just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, I say yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, our age category. 
30 to 46. You know that age category. I, I hate that when you, when you suddenly become a different age category, when you, you get that drop-down menu. Anyway, or when you have to put your year of birth and you have to scroll and scroll and scroll. <laughs> Like back into Victorian times when computers weren't even invented. Why did they put 1906 there? Anyway, that's just a rant. So we were in the Trent house and um, there were these, there weren't many people upstairs. And there were, it was like a, a group of fairly young people. I think they'd been on the, on the, uh, the gay pride march because they had like weird body paint on and, and stuff. And they were, um, they were around the pool table, so we thought, okay, you know, maybe we won't get a game. So we just sat there, um, and, um, you know, when you walk into a, a strange place and you see people you don't recognize, you can have that, that fear, can't you, of, like, ooh, you know, what do I do in this situation? Um, particularly, I think, in, in places like pubs, because um, with, with blokes, there's this kind of macho thing that happens, particularly after a couple of pints, you know, I'd, I'm used to now averting my eyes because this, I've, I seem to have a face that historically, if you've had a couple of pints, you kind of want to... <laughs> so I, I'm used to kind of going, I don't know what it is about my face. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I had that sort of slight feeling of unease. You know, I, I don't really know these people. One of them, it looks totally off his face on something, and it turns out he was totally off his face on something. Um, and so we just, we just sat uh, around a table. Why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because I want to describe a really normal situation where, um, where I recognized the, the permanent stuff in me. I recognized the love in me. And I also recognize it in other people. And that on that night, that's what connected us with this group of young people from all walks of life, actually. But there was a real connection there, and it was a heart connection. You know, we say that, don't we, heart connection? I think, for me, that what it means is recognizing how God has made us all and what God has made that is permanent and undestroyable in us. When you recognize that in somebody else, you've got something that that unifies you. So, so I, I spent quite a long time talking to one lad in particular who uh, turns out he, he, um, he was telling me about his autism and that he, he never leaves his room uh, since um, graduating. I, I assume he did. No, I think he was booted off his, his science degree that he was doing. Uh, I didn't ask why, but as he started to describe what he did in his bedroom, I started to guess possibly why. Um, he, was, he was an absolute genius, this guy, um, but he was putting his, his efforts into kind of creating things, inventing things, and, and basically messing around with science, which at the time sounded really dodgy and really dangerous. Some of the little videos he was showing me on his phone of some of the things he'd made in his bedroom, my, my hair was starting to curl a bit, and I was kind of thinking, you know, if the police knew about this, it was that sort of conversation. Uh, he told me how to make a hydrogen bomb, for example. That's, that's the, the level of the conversation. He was talking about stuff I didn't really understand, but I was kind of nodding and, you know. Um, the point is, as he told me about um, his, his passions and his, he was being really honest with me, I think uh, mind-altering drugs do that, um, 
seriously, um, he started to describe what his real passion was, and he was telling me that he was making and inventing and creating um, a way of turning seawater, salt water, into uh, virtually free energy, renewable energy. And he was describing it with absolute knowledge and understanding of how that worked. Uh, and I was, I was blown away, actually, by how clever he was. And his heart was to, to be able to not to patent it and give it to a company or even sell it. He wanted it to be available to everybody. So as soon as I saw that, I thought, there's the love. You see, he didn't want to profit from this. He wanted to share it. And his heart was for, for the, the, the poorest people on this planet, that they would have a source of energy that was available free, they could get the kind of the instructions sort of thing from the internet. You know, it was that sort of um, social media freedom that he was talking about. And he had a real heart for, for just kind of setting people free from poverty. Um, and, you know, I, I started to talk to him about my passions as well. And he was able to make eye contact and listen. I say that because that was quite, um, quite a big thing for him with his autism to make eye contact with somebody. He even hugged me a couple of times and he told me that he never does that. Um, it's starting to sound really romantic, isn't it? Um, I looked at him in the eyes and said to him, you are a world changer. Not you will be a world changer or not kind of you've done some great stuff and I recognize that. I, I talked about that permanence I saw what God had, had put in him. I saw how God had made him. And I knew that he is a world changer. It's a bit like the angel saying to Gideon, you mighty hero, you know? Not you will be, you mighty hero. So I said to him, you're a world changer. I said it two or three times to make sure it went in. And he really took that on board. Um, why am I saying this? Well, it, it, it's, about that, it's about that recognition, I think. Of, of what's deep inside all of us. And, and it was that that enabled us all, because we all had conversations, similar conversations with these people. Um, and it was about that love connection. And if we could have it with those people in that pub that caused us a bit of discomfort and fear at first, you can have it with anybody. You can have it with anybody. Lose the fear, strip back everything that's not important, and see what, what unites us. In it, and the thing that unites us is being love. You know, we are human beings. We are love beings because we are being constantly love. I think that's it. That's a good place to stop, I think. So be encouraged. Thank you.